You are listening to The Stender with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. So uh, as I came to synagogue tonight, um, I ran into a congregant who I hadn't seen in a while, and someone came to me and said, welcome back. Uh, For those of you who don't know, I I, I was the past three weeks in uh, in Israel, mainly in Jerusalem, uh, and uh, said, I bet you don't have anything to talk about. And, uh, you know, tongue-in-cheek, of course, I have a lot to talk about. Um, and uh, I'm not going to really talk about my Israel experience tonight. I prepared a, a really, I think, a, a nice uh, talk um, about some of my experiences in Israel. Um, and it's going to be the lead-off of a series of talks I'm going to give about Israel over the course of the next few weeks. Um, but uh, uh, my, I, my wife looked at it and said, you know, you better save that one for when people are in air conditioning indoors. Uh, so, um, so on her suggestion, I'm not going to talk about uh, that so much tonight. Uh, and if you want to hear uh, that, you can come back uh, tomorrow morning. I'll talk about Israel tomorrow morning. It'll, of course, be on the web following Shabbat, and you can listen to it there. Um, and I invite you over the course of the next few weeks as we'll be talking more about Israel because there's a lot to talk about. Um, but what I want to talk about tonight is of course, connected in some way to, uh, to Israel and especially to Jerusalem. As I mentioned, and as many of you know, uh, tomorrow night begins uh, the commemoration of Tisha B'Av. Um, and it's hard uh, to, uh, uh, to be uh, Jewish in Jerusalem over the time period that uh, we're in right now um, and not be cognizant of, uh, of Tisha B'Av, of, uh, of, uh, of the images and and visuals of uh, the, the ancient destructions of Jerusalem contrasted to the extraordinary vibrancy of uh, modern Jerusalem today. It's really incredible. And if you haven't been to Israel and you haven't been to Jerusalem, um, I encourage you to go. Uh, in particular, you're welcome to join us next summer on our congregational trip to Israel uh, at the end of June, uh, where we'll be spending some time in Jerusalem. But um, those of you who have been to Jerusalem, especially recently, um, know the scene, know the vibrancy, know the energy of um, the rebuilt, re-energized, rejuvenated uh, Jerusalem. And it's in stark contrast, as you'll see if you come tomorrow night to read uh, Echa, and uh, those of you who've read the Book of Lamentations in the past, um, you know that the visuals are, are, are very different. Because the book begins, the Book of Lamentations that we begin reading on Tisha B'Av begins, Echa Yashva how, alas, does the city dwell alone that was once filled with people. And, of course, it could be read as incredulity, it could be read as a question, can also be read as analysis of what happened to the city that was so filled with people that enabled it to become a place of despair and devastation and destruction. And the analysis then is the city that was once filled with people is destroyed because it dwells alone, because it's lonely, because it's isolated. And if you look at the Hebrew prophets, the prophet Jeremiah, and the prophet Isaiah, who prophesied the impending destruction of Jerusalem. What you see is that analysis borne out over and over again of the dangers of a mentality of isolation that pervaded the culture in Jerusalem and in Judah 
leading up to the destruction of the second temple. The rabbis put it succinctly in the Talmud. In the case of the first temple, they say, why was the first temple destroyed? They say the first temple was destroyed because of three sins. Idolatry, murder, and sexual impropriety. And if you think about the nature of all of those transgressions, what all of them have in common is that they are about the individual operating in isolation, serving solely those interests that benefit the individual without concern for how his or her actions impact anybody else in society, anybody else in the family, anybody else in connection with them. Murder, of course, is obvious. Idolatry is a little bit less obvious, but idolatry at its core is substituting the whole for the, for the part for the whole that we believe in one God that's the totality of all being, and idolatry limits the vision, the image of that God to a, 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 a segment of what is possible. And by limiting God to a segment of what is possible, it also limits our moral vision to a segment of what is present. And so it leads to a morality and ethics of isolation. That the only people I need to worry about are the people who are like-minded to me, who are in the same social status as me, the same economic class as me, and nobody else really matters. And sexual immorality also reflects that same mentality, the same image, because the issue behind sexual immorality is uh, the violation of uh, Kant's categorical imperative to not use other people as a means to your own ends. So the rabbis identified those as the three transgressions that were prevalent in Judah and in Jerusalem that led to the destruction of the first temple. And then the rabbis say, well, what caused the destruction of the second temple, given that everybody at that time worshipped God and didn't participate in sexual immorality and didn't commit murder? Right? We don't have accounts of prophets in the second temple period railing against the people of Judah for their immorality. So the rabbi said, even though they didn't engage in those sins, the people of that time did something that was perhaps even worse, or at least just as bad, which they identified as sinat chinam, baseless hatred. Baseless hatred means the inability to see the validity in another person's viewpoint. The inability to see the humanity in the face of the other that opposes you. The inability to see beyond the sphere of your own concern to the real and important concern of everybody around you. And it's not just a one-to-one -one give and take. That these sins happen and so God punished with destruction. It's much more complicated than that. Because it's not a one-to-one theodicy of judgment and justice on God's part. But the lesson, the moral lesson of the rabbis is that any society that is engaged in these activities that are under, that underlie them is a vision where the only person who is important is me, myself, and I. Ultimately. Maybe I like other people, I'll be friends with other people, I'll support them when it benefits me, but the second that it doesn't, I don't care. And the rabbis, the insight of the rabbis to what happened in the first and second temple period that led to Echa, to the destruction of the cities and the disaster that befell the Jewish people, is that society crumbled from within. 
It was an internal catastrophe capitalized by external forces, capitalized by external forces. An internal catastrophe capitalized by external forces. And the lesson is crucial, I think, even for our time. Because we live in an era and we live in a society that venerates, and for some very good reasons, individualism and individual liberty. There is nothing wrong with those things. We are, uh, we, we are created in some way as individuals. We have individual rights. We have liberties. Those are good things. But when those elements of our reality are treated themselves as the ultimate goal of our reality, the ultimate moral compass of our reality is to elevate ourselves as individuals and not care about what happens to anybody else in society so long as I pursue my dream, as I get my piece of the pie, as I get my prosperity, then what will happen to us, what will happen to people all over the free world that are invested, and for, again, good reasons in the ideology of individualism and individual liberty, is society fracturing and crumbling from within. And what that means is that when there are mass shootings after mass shootings after mass shootings, month in and month out in our society, we need to take a deep, long look at ourselves and say, yes, I didn't put the gun in their hand. I didn't purchase the bullets. I didn't hatch the plot. But how am I implicated in the system that enables these sorts of things to happen? When people of color die in police custody, unarmed, often for petty crimes, we need to take a look at ourselves, even though we're not the ones putting them in handcuffs. We're not the ones committing the acts of harm or brutality, as they may be. But we have a responsibility to look inside ourselves and to look at the systems that we, as individuals within a free society, sustain and keep in place to enable catastrophes and tragedies like these to happen. When we see people hungry in the streets, when schools are impoverished, when children lose parents to gun violence or to imprisonment, to a revolving part in the penal system, we may not be guilty of those actions, but we can't separate ourselves from the greater context in which they happen. It's very much, I think, as King said in his letter to the Bir from Birmingham jail, that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And to put it in the language of a story that I love, is that two guys are sitting in a boat, right? And one guy starts drilling a hole in his side of the boat. And the other guy says, dude, what are you doing? You're going to sink the boat. And the other guy says, no, don't worry, it's just on my side. That is Echa Yashva Badan. The tragedy is dwelling alone, of seeing ourselves as isolated islands, not touched by and with no impact on everybody around us and the systems that, of which we are a part. And it's why 
the Jewish tradition and the Hasidic tradition reads that word Eicha in another way it could be read. The same Hebrew letters, Aleph, Yud, Kaf, He. Is also the language of the first question God asks Adam, human beings, in the book of Genesis. God asks Adam, Ayeka. That's the first question God asks humanity, Ayeka. Where are you? And so when people of color are dying disproportionately in police custody, where are you? When people are going hungry, I learned when I was there, 25% of the population in Israel, Israel, a wealthy, powerful country, 25% of the population is in poverty, including nearly a million children. Where are you? When people commit horrendous acts of mass violence with guns, where are you? When people are not getting the education they need to have an even footing to be able to have the opportunities and tools to advance in our culture, where are you? That's the first question God asks, where are you? And it's directly connected to the lamentation, Echa Yashva Badan. How can you sit alone? And it brings me to the second question that God asks humanity. God asks Cain after he kills his brother Abel, where is your brother Abel? And Cain says, Hashomer Achianochi, am I my brother's keeper? And I'm joined by Rabbi Joseph Tulushkin, who writes that the rest of the Bible and the rest of the Jewish tradition is, affirmative, is an affirmative answer to that question. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my sister's keeper? The answer is yes. In this moment in which we recall destruction and devastation that our rabbis insist that we brought on ourselves, the question calls out to us, how can you sit alone? Shabbat Shalom.